of the person who walks with God and the person who does not. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with wicked, with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Good morning, everybody. Nice to see everybody here. I just wanted to start off with a, a phrase. You know, when you hear this phrase, what do you think of? What comes to your mind? When someone says, live in the dream, you ever hear this phrase? We, we hear it thrown around a lot in our culture, don't we? But what does it really refer to? You know, there's a popular, there's a lot of popular songs about this idea. There's a hip hop song that goes something like this. Money can't buy me happiness. But I'm happiest when I can buy what I want, anytime that I want, get high when I want. Another uh, song from a country music scene, sort of the other end of the perspective, says something very similar. Everybody knows and everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat. It can buy me a truck to pull it. It can buy me a Yeti 110 iced down with some silver bullets. Yeah, I know what they say, money can't buy everything. Well, maybe so, but it could buy me a boat. What are these songs trying to say to us? And I was speaking to a friend of mine a while back, and he was telling me about a friend of his uh, who was quite wealthy, and, and my friend really looked up to the guy for that. And I remember him saying to me one day, Miles, you and me, we're just surviving, but, but this guy, my friend, he's living. You know, he's living the dream. You know, um, someone who's living the dream, it's, it's, like, it's like they just have everything they could ever want. Every need and every want fulfilled, every desire fully satisfied. And in some ways, I mean, that's a good goal, right? Feeling fulfilled is a basic human desire. Everybody has that. We all want it, and I, I think God designed us that way. We, we want to long for fulfillment. But the question is, and, and here's really the crux of the whole thing. Where? Where should we be looking for that fulfillment? Where does it come from? Our culture would say, according to those songs anyway, that, you know, it comes from having a lot of things that the world has to offer. A lot of money, a lot of possessions, vacations, sex, drugs, alcohol, wild partying. That's where we will find fulfillment. But is that true? Will those things actually lead us to the good life? And what is the good life anyway? That's the title of our sermon today. The Bible gives us some very different information about trying to find the good life in the things of the world. In Ecclesiastes 5, uh, verse 10, it says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. So according to the Bible, you know, this whole idea of pursuing more and more money so that we can feel fulfilled, 
The Bible says that that's actually just a big lie. If money is the end goal, you'll never be fulfilled. You'll always just want more. And it's the same thing that applies to so many other things from the world that we're tempted to pursue. Proverbs 27:20 says, "Just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied." The, the things of this world can never really satisfy us because the world can't provide what we really need. It's like trying to drink to quench your thirst with salt, salt water. I mean, it just doesn't work. It's not what we really need. So if the world can't satisfy, then what will? Where should we be looking if we want to truly live this good life? Thankfully, the Bible is just so clear about that. And our scripture today from Psalm 1 that Soren read for us is going to help us a lot with that. The opening line of the psalm begins by saying, Blessed is the one. You know, the Hebrew word for blessed is interesting. It's not the same as blessed. You know, blessed is a word that we use that means something like, you know, fortunate maybe or lucky. But that's not really what this word means. Blessed doesn't mean fortunate as much as it is what you would say about someone who is fortunate. You know, it's almost like a congratulatory title or something like that. Sort of like how we would say, wow, that person's living the dream, you know, or, or they're on the right track or they're living the good life. That's sort of what this word blessed means. We could substitute that meaning into the psalm and and say, you know, oh, the good life of the one who, and then we'll find out what that's about. In our culture, we, we often study habits of people who are living well, right? We want to be like them. We want to learn how to, how they got to be where they are. We read books about it. You know, the seven habits of highly effective people, atomic habits. These are, these are books that prove this, this idea. They've sold tens of millions of copies. We want to know how people get to the good life. And Psalm 1 today explores pretty much this exact question. After this opening statement here on the screen, the rest of the Psalm goes on to talk about how this person Uh, the one who's living the good life, how they got to be where they are. And we're going to see today that it comes from a choice, a simple choice. It's the choice between two paths, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And so today I want to analyze this psalm with you because it turns out we all have the same choice to make as well. All of us have to do this. It's It's a choice for you and me. Will you strive for the blessed life? Will you strive for blessedness or will you settle for lessedness? You know, will you strive for blessedness or settle for lessedness? I mean, that's kind of a funny thing to say, but it's a serious choice. According to this psalm, God tells us what this blessed life looks like. But we also have an enemy who wants us to settle for something far less. And our enemy is trying to sell us a counterfeit. He's trying to sell us a lie that the good life is found in the things of this world. And he and the thing is, brothers and sisters, he is a really good liar, really good. It can be so tempting. But today, the scripture is going to help us see the truth. And I want to examine these two paths today with you. I want to look at where they lead, where they're headed. And and then we can talk about how we can choose the path to the good life 
Choose the path of the good life. So let's start by looking at these these two paths. Verse 1, as we started reading already, it lays out this path that we need to avoid. It starts by talking about the path not to take. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. The language here is cool. It speaks of a progression. It's a progression from walking to stopping and standing and then finally to sitting down. It's a path toward evil. And I think there's, you know, very few people who just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm done with God. Give me the evil path, right? It doesn't really happen. It it happens over time. And this verse kind of explains how that works. First of all, it starts, it starts with like entertaining the idea of evil. You're, you're walking along in step with the wicked. You live alongside them. You open your mind to their way of life. That's where it starts, according to Psalm 1-1. The next step is moving from entertaining that life to experimenting with that life. You stand in the way that sinners take. It doesn't mean that you like get in their way. You don't stand in their way in that sense, but it means you're taking on their way of life. You've now moved on from considering it to actually doing it, to living it. You're living a life of sin in the way that sinners do. And the next progression is sitting, sitting in the company of mockers and mockers. I mean, that's maybe a word we don't use very, very often, but it has to do with this idea of like calling out in ridicule against something. You're mocking it. You know, it might be in your mind. It might be actually words that you say. You've now moved on from not only doing the sinful things, but now you're at the point where you actually ridicule the people in your life who do follow what's right. You've sat down and embraced, you've embraced a life of evil. You have so embraced it in your life that you now see it as your goal to mock the people around you who are trying to live for God. And and this, brothers and sisters, is the path that Satan wants for all of us. He wants to get us sitting and entrenched in that way of evil. This is the path that he wants to lead us down. And verse 1 uh, tells us clearly that this, this is not, <laughs> this is not the path that leads, that leads to the good life, the blessed life. Instead, verse 2 says that the path to the good life is to do with the law of the Lord. This is where the secret lies. It's found in God's instruction, God's path for your life. It's what we find in the Bible. It's what is in the scriptures. This is where the good life lies. And so maybe, you know, we could just end the sermon right there and say, okay, well, let's just go home and read our Bibles. Um, but that's, that's not where we're going to end it because that's not where the psalm leaves it, right? There are two very important words here that I want us to see. Uh, and it says that this, this person, this person who's living the good life, they're living it not just because they chose to read the law, but because they delight in it. They delight in it. For them, it's not a chore. They, they choose to see it as a blessing. And that's what really makes the difference for them. It's kind of like what it says in Psalm 112, verse 1. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. And here's that word again, blessed. We could substitute our phrase here again too. Oh, the good life of those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. 
The Bible says that the person who's living the dream, the one who uh, is living the good life, is the one who delights in God's word. And I don't think that means it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy for them to live out. It doesn't mean that it's always a pleasurable thing. But I, but it's, it's delightful them, uh, delightful for them because they know so fully within themselves that this is the right way to live. And they're delighted to walk in that path. You know, when you know you're on the right path, the effort becomes a part of the pleasure. When you know you're on the right path, the effort becomes part of the pleasure. So the, the good life, it's not just about reading, but it's also about delighting in the scriptures. And this second word here is also very important as well. It says that the one who live, uh, lives the good life, they meditate, meditate on his law. So it's not just about reading. It's, it's not just about delighting, but it's also about meditation on the Word of God. You know, summer is one of my favorite seasons for food because I get to eat lots of things that are on the barbecue. I love barbecuing. Uh, I love to grill up something quick, but a real treat, and you guys probably know this, is when you have time to marinate something before you grill it. It makes a huge difference, right? You can put something on the barbecue and you can just kind of sprinkle some stuff on there. But, but, and that's good and everything, but then when you flip it over and toss it around, it sort of falls off, but, but not so with marination, right? You let that food sit in there for hours, maybe hopefully even a day, and it just soaks in. It soaks up the flavor, and that flavor is not coming out. It's soaked right through so that every bite is infused with what it's soaking in. It's a beautiful thing if you've never tried it. But it's kind of, I think, like this idea, right? The same idea of meditating on God's Word. It's more than just reading it. It's letting it soak into your life. Are you marinating in God's Word? (laughs) Or are you just sprinkling it on like some seasoning? Seasoning is going to fall off when life tosses you around. But if you're marinating in it, it becomes a part of you. It's with you wherever you go. The way to the good life is is the way of meditating on God's Word. I want to talk to you about how we can grow in this area, but before we get there, uh, let's look at where these two paths are headed. The way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. Those are, those are the paths. And, and Psalm 1 is going to lay out for us where they're both going, where they end up. The destinations, they're described by two beautiful word pictures. The first is a giant tree planted by the water, and the second is, is a bunch of chaff blowing in the wind. Verse 3 says that the life of the blessed person ends up looking like uh, a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. This picture of the tree is very powerful, and, and especially if you grew up in a culture that was centered around farming in Palestine, it would be even more obvious how, how powerful this image is. You know, the Jews, they were used to dry land, man. And they were used to no water. And so this picture of being planted by a stream of water is a sign of incredible resilience. It wouldn't matter if the rain didn't come for days or weeks or even a year. This tree would still be thriving. It would still be producing fruit. It's the same picture that we see in Jeremiah 17. 
Uh, starting in verse 8, it says, They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The message is clear. The one who delights in the law of the Lord, the one who's meditating it, uh, meditating on it day and night, they're living the good life because they're resilient. Hard times will come to their life just like they come to everyone else's life. But the difference is that they're rooted. They're rooted into a source of strength, of uh, strength and wisdom that will help them endure. They're not going to fear like the rest of the world when hard times come. They'll still be strong because they're connected to an unlimited source of life. Other people, they can look at them, they can count on these people to bear fruit because they're always near what they need to produce it. And back in verse 3, it says that whatever they do prospers. You know, they'll be prosperous, not, not just in a spiritual sense, in everything. In everything they do. And of course, we know we're not talking about prosperous by the world's standards, but by God's standards, which are far better. If we're living the good life, everything we do will be prosperous because God will be working through us to bring his goodness into everything that we touch. In our workplaces, at school, at home, in the church, our personal life, all our relationships, they'll flourish. They will be prosperous. But on the contrary, the other path, the way of the wicked, it's described by a very different image in verse four. It says they're like chaff that the wind blows away. And again, you know, this the power of this metaphor could be lost on us today because we're sort of disconnected from agriculture. I have a short video here that might help the farmer. You know, they would gather up the harvest and then they would use some sort of method to to beat the plant to release the, the heads of grain from the stems. And after that, they would t- take that mixture of grain and chaff. And chaff is just sort of everything else that is not edible. And then they would put it into some air or into the wind like this. And the chaff would just blow away, right? And the seeds, the heavy food would, would not blow away. It would just kind of fall to the ground. So when the Bible is talking about this idea of, of the way of the wicked leading to a life that just blows away like chaff in the wind. You can see the intensity of the message. It's a, it's like, it's like when the chaff is in a big pile, it might seem like there's a lot of substance there. It might seem like there's something to it. But then when the wind comes, you realize it's just nothing. And I think the message is that the way of the wicked is an empty way of life. It's a fruitless way of life. It seems like there might be some substance, but in the end, there's nothing. Everything that the world calls important, it might look important right now. It it might be tempting. You know, it, it might seem like a good idea, but pretty soon it's all going to just be like chaff that the wind blew away. Nothing. Empty. Fruitless. And the way of the wicked, it also leads to insecurity. Verse 5 says that, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Sometimes it might seem like the things of this world are so secure. 
And it might seem like such a strong and empowering approach to, to take to life, to live life on our own terms, to stand on our own two feet, to make ourselves the authority over our own life. That sounds tempting, right? It, it sounds secure. It sounds like a position of strength. But the reality is it's, it's so insecure. Verse 6, it says it's best. It's, it's strong language. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So there are two paths that lie before us, the, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. The Bible doesn't leave any room for a third option. There's no middle ground. Which one are we going to base our lives on? Are we going to settle for a counterfeit of what the good life really is? Are we going to spend our lives chasing after that big pile of chaff that Satan wants to sell us, only to realize in the end that it's all worthless? Or will we take the path that truly leads to the good, the good life? I want you to imagine for a minute that you're in a room uh, full of electronics and, and they're all making noise, just blaring away. You know, maybe that's an everyday occurrence for some of us. You know, you've got a TV over there blaring some channel. You've got a radio pumping music, a blender running in the corner, a tablet playing a video. You get the picture, right? Overwhelming. You know, I, I think that that's a metaphor for our lives sometimes. I don't know if anybody else feels that. There's just so many things screaming at us. Pay attention. Listen to me. This is what you need. Our enemy is a master at distracting us from the good life. Maybe you've heard this saying before, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll just make you busy. <laughs> and I think that's so true, man. That's so true. Our enemy doesn't need to turn us into awful people. He just needs to keep us distracted enough to drown out the voice of God with the noise of the world. But we have control over this, right? We have control over this. We have a choice to make. God has given us the freedom to choose what or who we're going to listen to. Sometimes I think that we forget that we have the ability to turn down the noise of the world and listen to God's voice instead. And this is really, I think, the whole point of the psalm. It's about a battle, a battle in our mind and how that battle consists of a choice that we need to make, a choice of whose voice we're going to listen to. Which voices are we going to turn down and which ones are we going to turn up? The application is pretty straightforward, even though I know it's not simple. It's not easy. We've got to turn down the world and turn up the word. Let's talk about that for a minute. When it comes to turning down the world, we can learn a lot from the person in this psalm here. They were living the good life. Not because they had all they wanted from the world, but because they knew one thing. They knew the truth. They knew the truth is that getting all you want from the world is not only impossible, but the world isn't even the right place to look. It's not even the right place to look for the good life. That's a reminder that we need to turn up the volume on. We need to remind ourselves over and over about that. That seems to be necessary. At least for me, it does. It's one thing we can do to turn up the volume of the word and turn down the volume of the world. You know, when we're tempted to sin, 
we can remember that it's not really going to give us what we think it's going to give us. When we're tempted by whatever the world says that the latest, the latest thing is that we simply must have, you know, to feel fulfilled. We can remember the truth about the fact that it will never truly fulfill us. Turning down the world is really just reminding ourselves of the truth of God's word. That the world just, it's simply not good enough. It's not the good life. It might seem good, but it's really just noise. It's a counterfeit. It's like chaff that the wind blows away. And of course, it's not just about what we turn down, right? But it's also about what we turn up. We need to turn up the volume of the Word of God in our life. And verse 2 helps us to see this. It gives us some ideas about this. It says, um, the person delights in God's Word, which causes them to meditate on it. And then when they meditate on it, it causes them to delight in it. It's like a snowball effect. And I love how this idea is laid out in Psalm 119 as well, starting in verse 14. Beautiful words here. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. There are at least four elements here. I'm going to highlight them. Uh, first of all, there's reading the word, not, not neglecting it, you know, having it in your life. There's meditating on it, or, or he also says, uh, considering it here in this scripture. There's following it, living it out, right? And then there's delighting in it, or also he says rejoicing in verse 14. And I, I think these elements, they sort of lay out a formula of sorts. I don't know if you like formulas, but you can take it or leave it. Uh, this is sort of a formula of how we can turn up the volume of Scripture in our lives. Uh, as, you, as you probably know, Alicia and I, we love backpacking. Uh, we love to go out for a few days in the, in the, in the wilderness and just kind of survive off of what we can carry in our backs. Um, I remember the first time we went on a backpacking trip. We went out for three nights, which is probably a little much to bite off. <laughs> we were uh, so completely unprepared. It was terrible. Um, we were packed way too heavy. We, we didn't really know what we were doing. We had the wrong equipment. And it ended up being like a really difficult few days. We came back covered in blisters, pretty beat up. But you know what? I knew something. I knew that for most people, it wasn't that awful. You know, people actually enjoyed this kind of thing. So I decided I would start researching it. And, and as I did, I, I found out some things. You know, there was better equipment. There were better techniques. There were better ways to prepare. And I reflected on that for quite a while, years. And, and I, I thought about it for a long time. And then we went out and got some better stuff. And with better gear and a bit more wisdom, we went back again a few years later to the exact same trail. It was finally time to put the things that we had learned and meditated on into practice. And guess what? It was a lot better. <laughs> It was far, it was far more fun and far less pain. Uh, but it still wasn't perfect. You know, we went through the formula again. Read, research, meditate, think about it, put it into practice. You know, and the third time it was even better yet. I think you can see where I'm going with this, right? We understand this concept already from other areas of our life, but we just really need to apply it to how we approach the Word of God. This is how we learn to delight in it. 
First of all, we have to read it. <laughs> I hope that doesn't come as a surprise to anybody. You know, but anybody can read something, right? It has to be deeper than that. We also have to meditate on it. It's like a contemplative process where, where we think about it. We consider how it might apply to our life. And then, of course, we have to put it into practice. We have to follow it. There needs to be action based on what we've read and meditated on. And it's only when we have these three elements together that we're going to experience delight, the delight of the good life. I've never stopped researching hiking equipment ever since that first hike. You know, I'm hooked on it now in some ways because I understand the value of improving in that way of life. I delight in it, you could say. And it could be the same thing with the Word of God. Uh, the last thing I want to point out here is the call to meditate on God's Word day and night. Day and night. And I've learned a lot from, from you guys, like the people in this congregation on this one. I think the idea of meditating on it day and night is a reference to the person who carries God's, with them, uh, God's Word with them into every situation in their life. It's always on their heart. It's always in their mind. And I've seen this from you. I've learned this from you. You know, I've seen people put up like post-it notes around their house or, or they got stickers with scripture on it and it's, it's in their home or it's in their office at work. I've seen people set up uh, stuff on their phones to show them scriptures every day. Um, our congregation has a Bible verse of the day reading, um, reading um, a Bible verse of the day discussion group. Sorry, uh, on WhatsApp. We also have a reading plan, a, a year, a yearly reading plan that we're doing. And if you want to join any of those, please just come and talk to me. But but with all that said, we have to remember this this idea. It's more than just reading, right? That's the first step. But there's more to go. We have to make the effort to meditate on it and then apply it into our lives every day. Just one quick one from my own life is something that I found helpful is to look at the verse of the day as a focal point for my mind each day. You know, it's one verse. You can kind of keep it in your mind. And, and what I do is I try to pray about that scripture through the day. And, and it helps me to kind of carry that concept with me into whatever I'm doing. Another way to turn up the word is with what we talked about a couple weeks ago, you know, prayer and fasting. You remember that idea of creating space? You know, these spiritual disciplines create space for us to meditate on the word of God and make it a part of who we are, like that marination soaking in. Praying through the Psalms. I don't know if anybody does this, but praying through the Psalms can be extremely powerful. And I put up a few suggestions here if you want to try this. It's a powerful way to internalize these scriptures and, and make them a part of who you are, a part of your prayer to God. These uh, concepts are pretty straightforward, right? But that doesn't mean that they're going to happen automatically. It all comes down to the choice that's presented in Psalm 1. It's a choice that we all need to make. What are you going to do with the word of God in your life? Will you allow it to become a part of who you are? Will you allow it to become your delight? Will you let it lead you to the good life? Or will you fall for a counterfeit, a counterfeit of the good life from the world that can never really give you what you need? 
Will you choose the way of righteousness or the way of the wicked? I want to end off with these powerful words from God himself in Deuteronomy. Chapter 30, starting in verse 19. Today, God says, I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. If you're struggling to make this choice today and you need some help to get back on the right track, back on the path that God has for you, please come and talk to me. I'd be happy to help you with that. And if you're ready to make that step and follow the will of God for your life, if you want to give your life to Jesus and and make your life about following him, if you want to know more about what that looks like, then please come and talk to me about that as well. I'd be happy to talk to anybody about that. Thank you for your time today.